Today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Have you ever messed up? No, no need to answer that because I already know the answer. Of course you have messed up. Of course you have failed. You have no doubt wronged someone or sinned in a grievous way. If you say you haven't, then the Apostle John has a word for you this morning in 1 John 1 and 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us unless you're one of those that John is speaking of, then you can certainly relate to our text this morning. We have all, we have all messed up, made mistakes, and failed. And, and we can all, I am sure, testify to the awful emotions that accompany such failures. It can be debilitating and devastating, to say the least. But the truth is, the truth is, most of the failures and mistakes we experience, they happen in relative obscurity. Very few of us have our biggest sins, our grievous sins, recorded for all to see. Peterson, while not unique to him, look, many, many, many have denied Jesus, perhaps and including those of us in here today at times, have found ourselves denying Jesus. So that's not unique. But, but what separates Peter's sin is that it has been recorded in the most read book in all of human history. Peter sinned 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, and to this day we are still talking about it. Doubt that will be the case with your failures. But what we will discover in our text this morning, and what I hope we will see, is that uh, Peter, Peter fell hard. He did. He fell extremely hard. But, but we will also see, and what I hope gets pressed upon you uh, this morning, is that when Peter fell, he fell into the arms of a loving and a merciful Savior. 
And those safe arms, I want you to see and understand and walk away with that those safe arms are there for us as well. It is fitting, it is fitting that we would come to this encounter this week. We could almost take last week's text and this week's text and combine them into a mini-series entitled The Tale of Two Disciples. You see, as Pastor Tony uh, painted the context for us last week, he reminded us that, that Judas, he was a disciple just like all of the other uh, disciples we read about in the scriptures. And therefore, it is helpful for us to understand that Judas and Peter were not all that different, right? Both of them, both of them followed Jesus and, and they ate with him and, and performed miracles and, and, and preached and served. They were brothers serving together to advance the kingdom of God. And just like Judas, as we look at Peter and this tragic account, we will again see that the story, like we learned last week, is not about Peter. This is about Jesus and the story of God. You do realize that is what all of human history is about. We are all but characters in the grand story of redemption. In important characters, nonetheless, but characters. Characters. Judas, as well as Peter, were part of God's redemptive plan to rescue sinners to the praise and the glorious grace of God. That is the plot. That is a plot line worked and working throughout all of human history. And so, as we uh, look, as we move through this account of Jesus and, and, and Peter, I want us to, to do it in, in four segments. Four segments this morning. First, we are going to see a life. And then we're going to look at a lie. We will look at a look and then a lesson. Those are the four segments that we will be visiting this morning. First, a life. Whose life? Peter's life. The Apostle Peter could be considered one of the most prominent of all Jesus' disciples. He was certainly the most outspoken and could easily be considered the most zealous. The gospel, uh, gospels are full of memorable moments in the life of Peter, beginning with that first encounter that he had with Jesus. Uh, you, you remember it, don't you? He and Andrew, his brother, had been fishing all night, but, but they didn't catch anything. And, and this, this, this man, Jesus, comes along and tells Peter and Andrew and the other fishermen, to, hey, hey go, go back out. Cast your nets into the water. And, and Peter was like, look, we've been fishing all night. We're, we're professional fishermen. We know how this goes. But doubtful and, and reluctant Peter did. He pushed out back out sea, let down his nets, and a catch 
overwhelmed the nets like they had never seen before. And Peter, Peter is blown away, overwhelmed by, by the catch, but even more so overwhelmed by Jesus. Oh. He declares that he is unworthy of being in the presence of this man named Jesus. And Jesus told him from that day forward, he would no longer fish for fish, but what would he do? He would be a fisher of men. Peter followed Jesus passionately from that day on. And that is the evidence we discover from the gospel writers. Peter, Peter, remember, was the one that jumped out of the boat when Jesus came walking on the water to the disciples. Peter, Peter was, he was passionate. But Peter wasn't just passionate. Peter was bold. You remember when Jesus asked the disciples for a report on, the, on what the streets were saying about him, and then he followed it up with a question about their belief and their understanding? Jesus says, okay, okay, I know you know what the streets are saying about me, but, but what do you say about me? What do you believe about me? And it was, it was Peter who, who, who boldly stood up and declared, you are the Christ, declaring him the Messiah. Peter, Peter was passionate, and, and he was bold. But I think if you were to ask Peter to describe himself, I believe that Peter would say that he was loyal. He was loyal. Peter loved the Lord, brothers and sisters. It is evident from the scriptures. He loved the Lord, and it was evident that the Lord loved him. You see, Peter was a member of what many have considered that inner circle, those closest to him, the, the three. It was James, it, it was John, and, and Peter who went with Jesus up to the Mount of Transfiguration. It was those three that went in to the house when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the the dead. They were in the inner circle. Peter loved being a disciple of Jesus, and he was committed to the mission before him. He was committed to his teacher. In John 6, when a number of disciples stopped following Jesus because of his hard sayings, you, you do remember that when he said, if you eat of my body and, and drink of my blood, right? A bunch of disciples went away. And so Jesus then challenges the rest of the disciples and he says, hey, are you guys going to go too? What does loyal Peter say? Lord, to whom are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Oh, Peter was committed and he was about to double down on it. And it was Peter who vowed that he was the one that was going to be with Jesus to the end. He was adamant about it, brothers and sisters. He was adamant about his loyalty, arrogant about his ability to hold on to Jesus. But Peter, like we do, at various times in our lives, thought the story was about him. He made the false assumption 
that he was the main character in the story of redemptive history. But Jesus was going to remind Peter, hey, Peter, there is a far greater story going on here. There is a larger narrative taking place. Peter, this story isn't about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. While Jesus was sharing the Last Supper with his disciples, just before he was about to be betrayed by Judas, Jesus was explaining to them what was about to take place. The religious leaders were, were going to come and arrest him and, and ultimately put him to death. But, but Jesus also shared some troubling news with his disciples. He says that when that took place, when they would come and arrest him, that all the disciples would scatter. They would leave him. Matthew 26 and 31, Jesus said to them, you all, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. They will, they will desert Jesus in his, in his greatest time of need. Now, Peter hears this. He's sitting there before his Lord, before his teacher, and with all the loyalty and pride he could muster up, he said in Matthew 26 and 33, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I can almost see Jesus take a deep sigh. Look at Peter and say, Oh, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demand to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But, but, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Peter, strengthen your brothers. But Peter doubled down. He doubled down. He says, I will not deny you, Lord. I am even ready to die with you. Luke 22 and 34. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. That was it. That's all Jesus said. Saying nothing more, we next find Jesus and the disciples being confronted by Judas and the religious leaders in the garden. And it is at this point that it seemed like it was going to play out just as, just as Peter had thought, right? When they came to arrest Jesus, it was, it was Peter who drew his sword, right, ready to fight. Peter, Peter was ready to ride and die with his Lord, right? He was bold, living up to his reputation as this loyal follower of Jesus, perhaps ready to fulfill what he had just told Jesus. Jesus, I will die for you. I will go down fighting for you. But once again... Peter's actions proved he thought the story was about him. Brothers and sisters, that is the 
insidiousness of pride. It is consumed with self-confidence and self-importance. It makes self-ability the center of the story. This type of pride is subtle, but it's oh so dangerous. We, we, we talk a big game and even display actions that put so much confidence in the flesh. Brothers and sisters, this was Peter, but even more so, this is us. Like Peter, we say, that sin may entrap others, but it's not going to get me. The others will fall away, Lord, but not me. I would, I would never be the one to get addicted to drugs. I would never get a divorce. Can you believe that so-and-so would do such and such a thing? I would never treat people like that. I would never deny the Lord. Brothers and sisters, these are the statements that come out of our mouths. I know they do because they are statements that have come out of my mouth. In fact, I bet some of you read this account before, maybe heard it this morning, and said, man, if I was in Peter's shoes, I would have never have said that. Oh, this, this, this never say never is a real thing. Oh, just an aside, just an aside, young parents. I remember I, I was there. Oh, I'll never do that with my children. Oh, okay. <laughs> keep, keep, keep living, <laughs> keep living. <laughs> Been there, brothers and sisters, believe me have eaten those words. See, it's subtle. We trust in our own abilities, not realizing just how weak our flesh is. None of us have the ability in our own strength to withstand the evil desires of the flesh, the wiles and the schemes of the devil. Self-confidence is no confidence at all. Believing you can't succumb to the sin that entraps others is setting yourself to be trapped by the evil one. Peter was sure of himself. He wasn't going to leave the Lord. He wasn't going to deny him. Which leads us to our next segment in the story. A lie. A lie. After the religious leaders arrest Jesus, they take him to stand before the high priest. By, by this time, most of the disciples have scattered, except John, right? We learn that John perhaps was able to get Peter into the court of Caiaphas' house where Jesus was, was being kept and asked questions. Uh, when, when things had, had gotten hot in the garden, the rest of the disciples, everybody is scattered. That is all but faithful Peter. He was still following. But don't miss what Luke tells us in Luke 22 and 54. Then they, they seized him, Jesus, and led him away 
bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. At a distance. Peter was still around. Peter was there. He was there. But you see, fear and apprehension had started to creep in. He, he, he was following, but, but at a distance. He, he Remember, he had been talking a big game, but as, as it got closer to the event, he started to follow at a distance, right? It's, it's, it's like that friend when, when you're with and you're on your way to Six Flags. They, they start talking a big game. You start talking about all the roller coasters that you're going to ride when you get to Six Flags. And, and they're telling, yeah, I'm going on the Batman and I'm going on the Superman. I'm going to be on all those rides with you. But as you get closer... You start looking back, and your friend is way back there, nervous. He's, he's there, but he's following out of distance, out of distance. This was Peter. He was there, but apprehensive. He was in the courtyard outside the house of the high priest, along with others from Caiaphas' court, waiting to see what was going to come of Jesus. Out of the blue, a servant girl begins looking at Peter. And she tilts her head. She starts pondering in her mind. And he looks familiar. I've seen him before. And she concludes that Peter was one of them who had been with Jesus, and she calls him out on it. And, and hearing her accusation, Peter lies and says he doesn't know the man. He doesn't know Jesus. You see, we have called this encounter Peter's denial of Jesus, but he didn't just deny G Jesus. He did that. He also lied that he didn't know the man. He didn't lie once. But three times, two others in the courtyard recognized Peter and also accused him of knowing and being with Jesus. But Peter, instead of conceding, you do understand that between the second time he denied Jesus and the third time he denied Jesus, it said an hour of time had passed. That means Peter had opportunity to think about what he had just done that second time he had time to reflect upon the mistake he had just made, but instead of conceding, he denied Jesus again. He ramps up the denial, adamantly claiming his ignorance of Jesus. Even another account tells us invoking a curse upon him. I do not know the man. Brothers and sisters, the power of sin is no joke. It's no joke. We underestimate its influence and we overestimate our ability to handle it. You do realize that Peter, less than 24 hours ago, was beating his chest, talking about, Lord, I will never deny you. You might be asking, this is the question I'm asking, how does something like this happen? How does this happen? I think, I think the writer of 
Proverbs has something to say about this. Something like pride goes before the fall. Or Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Ah, Peter fell, brothers and sisters, and he fell hard. Like Judas, like Judas, Satan got a foothold in Peter's life. He, he hooked onto his pride, and then he began to turn up the heat. And, and when he turned up the heat, Peter's pride followed suit. His pride turned up. His pride turned up. He went into self-preservation mode. And what was in Peter's heart came out. Peter's loyalty and commitment wasn't about Jesus. It was about Peter. It's about himself. Peter had himself at the center of the story because you do understand in his mind, he was the one that was going to save and rescue Jesus. He thought that was the, what, 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 he, what he was about to do. He thought he could rescue Jesus until he couldn't. And when he couldn't save Jesus, he was going to try and save himself. And that's what you do when you put self at the center. Self-preservation becomes your goal. And Peter, lying about his relationship with Jesus, was simply an attempt to save himself. That's what we do. We go into self-preservation mode, trying to save ourselves because we're at the center of the story. What Peter failed to realize was that Jesus didn't need saving. Peter was the one that needed saving. Peter couldn't save Jesus, and he wasn't going to be able to save himself. You see, that's why we lie. That, that is why we sin. We go into self-preservation mode, trying to save ourselves. We get into tough and difficult situations. The heat gets turned up in our lives. And, and, and Jesus, we believe wrongly that Jesus can help us, and so we try and save ourselves. Trust. We trust in chariots and horses and don't trust in the strong arm of the Lord. We forget, like Peter, that there is a grand redemptive story going on, a narrative greater than us taking place. We, we forget that Jesus came because you and I and every human being is incapable of saving ourselves. What was taking place that night was part of God's plan to save his people. And that included Peter. Peter needed to be saved, and it took him hitting rock bottom to realize it. Which leads us to the next segment of our account. A look. A look. At the moment that Peter denied knowing Jesus for a third time, the rooster crowed. He heard a rooster crow. 
And immediately he was transported back to the conversation he had with Jesus. This moment, you do understand, you see, had been predicted. He was told this was going to happen, and he was adamant that it wouldn't. But now, here he was at the place he never thought he would be. He had failed. He failed. He messed up. He sinned grievously. You've been there? Oh, I, 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 I have been there, brothers and sisters. And I, I don't like those emotions. I don't like that feeling. We all know that feeling that Peter was experiencing in that moment. He didn't just let down a friend. He didn't just let down a teacher, a parent. He let down Jesus. He had failed Jesus. Peter was experiencing significant despair at this moment. And then came the moment that utterly devastated him. Once the rooster crowed, Luke says in, in verse 61, we don't know how it happened, if Jesus was looking through a window if maybe they were leading him out the house. But at the moment that the rooster crowed, which again speaks to the providence of God, we read in verse 61 of Luke 22, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. At this look, the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Now, we have all received looks before that communicate a message that doesn't require words. Like the look your mother used to give you when you were cutting up in church, right? We all know that look. We all know that look. Looks can communicate a lot. And so it is important that we understand the look that Jesus gave Peter. Because I am tempted to think, we are all tempted to think, that the look that Jesus gave Peter was a look of disgust or anger. That, that Jesus shot a look at Peter of disappointment. Like, like, a, like a father or a mother would with a child who has sinned or messed up, this this disapproving look, this disappointed look. But brothers and sisters, I am convinced, and I am more than convinced, that this is not the look that Jesus gave to Peter. It's not the look. This look was a look of compassion. It was a look of care and concern. You do remember, Jesus knew Peter had messed up, and he knew Peter knew he had messed up. Remember, Jesus told him that this was going to happen. He wasn't caught off guard. Jesus, you do understand, wasn't mad at Peter. He wasn't disappointed with Peter. His desire was to look at Peter with compassion, with love, with care. Brothers and sisters, this is the nature of our Lord. 
He is compassionate and abounding in steadfast love. Isaiah 42 and 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faint, faintly burning wick he will not quench. Oh, this so instructive for us as it relates to our failures and our sin and our mistakes. We need to see that the character and the disposition of our Lord that is being displayed here is one that we need to see and, 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 and understand for ourselves. God, brothers and sisters, is not quick to anger. Listen, he is not like us. We, you do understand, are quick to point out when others have done something wrong. Quick, ready to say, oh, I told you so. I told you. How come you didn't listen to me? We heap condemnation on them. But not Jesus. He is full of compassion, looking at his children lovingly and tenderly, tenderly assuring them that it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Listen, Jesus understands the power of sin. He knows the difficulties that you and I face, and therefore he knows that we are going to fall. He saves sinners, brothers and sisters. He's not caught off guard when you fall, when you fail, when you sin. He knows. He knew before he saved you. And therefore, he is compassionate. And so when we fall, he's not looking at us with this, this disposition of anger, but he's looking at us with love and compassion because, as Hebrews 2 and 18 reminds us, he himself has suffered when tempted. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He helps us. So here's my question for you in light of that. Do you believe that about Jesus? Like when you mess up, when you fail, when you sin, do you believe Jesus is looking at you with disdain and disgust? Perhaps you think he's disappointed with you. Perhaps you think he's looking down his nose at you. If that's what you think, then, then you don't understand the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, as I said, is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and compassion. He, he, he is overflowing in mercy and grace. You do understand that Peter wept bitterly. He wept bitterly because he was ashamed of his actions, ashamed of his behavior, guilty of his trespass. But Jesus was going to, to the cross to bear his guilt and to take away his shame. That is why Jesus looked with compassion and love toward Peter because he knew what he was about to do for Peter. He was going to the cross. Peter, I know you feel the guilt and the shame right now. I'm looking at you because I'm going to the cross to take that away. All of it I'm about to take away. 
Brothers and sisters, you do understand that is why Jesus looks at us with compassion and love when we mess up. We have done doesn't catch him off guard. He knew you and I would mess up. He knew you would fail. He knew it. He came to save sinners, not saints. Of course we fail. So when he looks at us, he looks. He looks at us as one who has gone to the cross for us. And with that act, he eliminated the condemnation, removed the guilt, and took away the shame. Peter, Peter may have wept bitterly that night, but joy was coming Sunday morning. Joy was coming Sunday morning. You, you see, it was Mary Magdalene who, who, who saw the empty tomb that Sunday morning. And, and she went and told all the disciples who were hiding in a room and no doubt fearful that perhaps they were going to be next, that, they, that, that, that the religious authorities were going to come and arrest them. And so when they hear Mary come and tell them, hey, I've been to the tomb and it's, and it's empty. The tomb that they laid Jesus in is, is empty. And they think, this is crazy. This doesn't make sense. But, but you know who was out the door first? Peter got up, we're told, and he ran. He ran to the tomb and, and he looked in the tomb. And stoop, stooping in, in Luke 24 and 12, it says, looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And it says, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Marveling at what had happened. I think Peter was marveling that he was amazed because the empty tomb told him that his sin wasn't the end of the story. His weeping may have endured for a night, but joy met him that Sunday morning at that empty tomb. His sin was not the end of the story. And brothers and sisters, our sin is never the end of the story. It isn't. It isn't. Peter may have fallen, but he fell into the arms of a loving Savior who redeemed him, restored him, and forgave him. And in all that is a lesson. A lesson. At the start of this message, we discussed the similarities between Peter and Judas. There was one other thing that they shared in common that we left off. They both, you do understand, sinned against Jesus in a grievous way. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. This isn't, don't, don't start thinking that this is a case of whose sin was worse. Right? We can't say that Judas sinned against Jesus in a greater way than Peter, and that is why Peter received mercy and Judas didn't. And we cannot say that. That's not how it, how it works. 
No, we need to say and understand that this is about the purposes and the plans of God and the mission of Jesus. Jesus came to save sinners. Sinners only he could save. He needed to be the mediator between God and man, standing in the gap for those who trusted in him. The only, the only difference between Peter and Judas is Peter trusted in, in, in Jesus, Judas didn't. Peter trusted in Jesus, Jews, Judas didn't. Peter trusted that Jesus was praying for him. That's what we learn in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. When Jesus heard Peter's pride rise up, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demands to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Peter, you know the account. We can't go into it long, but we can't, our time is, is gone. But you know the Lord restored Peter, put him in ministry because Peter was good, because Peter, like, made up for his mistake. No, because the Lord prayed for him. When Peter fell, he fell into the arms of a loving, merciful Savior, who died for him. And that's the lesson we learn. Our sin and our failures are not the end of the story. They're just not, brothers and sisters. They're not. I know how you feel. Don't trust your feelings. I know how it feels. You can't trust your feelings. They will betray you all day long. We go to the truth. We go to that objective reality that Jesus saves sinners. And when we fall, we too fall into the arms of a loving Savior, the one who has redeemed us, for, for restored us, and forgiven us, who looks at you with compassion and grace. Your sin, your failure. It's not the end of the story. Not if. When you fail. When you fail. Look to Jesus and you will see that he is looking back at you with compassion, with grace, because he went to the cross for you. Let's pray.